Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors Podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Hi, so today we have with us uh, Aparajita Datta, who is one of the co-editors of At the Feet of Living Things, 25 Years of Wildlife Research and Conservation in India. Hi, Aparajita. Hi, Manjula. Nice to meet you. Yeah, so, you know, I was reading the book and I found it like really interesting because uh, it has all these uh, uh, pieces written by conservationists. Or maybe should I just start with reading the the blurb so that the listeners know what the book is about? Okay, yeah. Yeah. The world of nature conservation is full of adventure, but it is also hard, fraught with challenges and setbacks, made worthwhile by the privilege of studying at the feet of living things. In this book, the scientists and researchers of the Nature Conservation Foundation describe how they grappled with conservation in India. Since 1996, they have wandered mountains, coral reefs and forests to describe, document, protect and restore species and ecosystems. They have studied the lives of primates, snow leopards, hornbills, elephants, dugongs, fish and other creatures. With local communities, they have experienced the sometimes harsh reality of living with the wild side of nature. And they have strived to bring children and citizens to celebrate and learn about it. Each reflective and deeply personal narrative in this book goes behind the science to describe the challenges of conservation. Whether you're a student, researcher, conservation practitioner, wildlife manager, nature enthusiast, or an interested citizen, at the feet of living things, there's something in it for everyone. So this is true. I found that, you know, uh, um, there's a range of pieces, you know, and so I'm wondering how, okay, let's start with a simple thing, you know, how did you put this book together? Okay, so I, um, you know, um, one of the, we had one meeting um, at NCF once about, you know, discussing our long-term plan and visioning. And um, one of the thoughts that I had for a long time was that um, many of us have struggled with a lot of the day-to-day conservation challenges, you know, when we are working. But as scientists mm-hmm. or as uh, academics, we... Um, we would not be writing about those things in the papers that we write or, you know, um, the reports that we write, um, the kind of conversations, the struggles. And also when there is a conservation uh, story or narrative, people tend to highlight the successes, but not mm. um, not the failures, not the heartbreak, you know, not the... So I felt that it would be uh, great to try and document and put together a lot of the stories of people in NCF who have been working in several different landscapes for a long time, um, some on particular species, some on particular issues. And, um, and I, you know, we discussed amongst ourselves, uh, some of my colleagues at NCF, um, and mm. uh, we actually only started, um, we put together a brief eventually. I mean, we were talking about mm. it in 2018, and then in 2019 no. or sometime, yeah, 2019, I think, before the um, uh, before COVID happened, uh, I think mm. we had put together a brief for, um, okay. um, and we made a list of potential uh, people at NCF for author. And we were looking at, see, there are a lot of diversity of people working at NCF, um, but there are several mm. which are more, um, say, research projects, which may be, um hasn't been so long term yet so we tell mm-hmm. we sort of chose the stories where it has been longer than 10 years of you know some okay. endeavor mostly you know um, mm-hmm. there are a couple of pieces which need uh, need not necessarily be that 
And the other thing about uh, some of NCF's work is that uh, many of us have had these long-term engagements in certain areas or places uh, where mm-hmm. we've done research and conservation. So it's about those stories in those places. And uh, mm-hmm. so we um, we wrote a brief on what how we wanted you know authors to write, and our uh, decision was that it shouldn't be at all. Um, full of jargon or, you know, the typical scientific writing. We wanted people to tell their mm-hmm. reflective, you know, personal stories um, uh, and bring, uh, you know, forth the the joys as well as the challenges that they faced. So, mm-hmm. um, and Shrida, my colleague, Dr. Shankar Raman and Rohan, um, you know, they've been long-time colleagues and friends and, you know, we just work together quite well. Um, so mm-hmm. we... Um, uh, you know, sent this out uh, to the authors. And uh, before that, we also got in touch with uh, Harper Collins, um, okay. one of our other um, one friend, writer uh, friend. She had published with Harper Collins, and she told us about. You know, so we got in touch, and then with the editor, and then we sent the brief, and they uh, liked the idea, and uh, mm-hmm. then it went forth. And we'd actually finished writing the. The first draft of those chapters, uh, huh, so we have 16 essays um, by yes. 21 authors. And we decided mm. on these um, themes. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's how it went forward. Okay. So now, you know, right at the beginning also, like the initial essay also, mm. it, it talks about how a collective that both drew on and took forward a significant widening of the circle of leadership and participation. When you're talking about the NCF, I think, hmm. the Nature Conservation hmm. Foundation. Yeah. So let's start with that. You can, you know, talk about that and the idea behind uh, uh, behind that, you know, the, uh, uh, the body itself, which is behind this book, right? Okay, yeah. We uh, so it happens to coincide with the Nature Conservation Foundation's twenty uh, fifth anniversary. This book, so it was partly a celebration. You know, you're also looking back at uh, what we've done. Many of us. It doesn't cover all stories of uh, people who have worked or mm-hmm. continue to work at NCF, uh, but uh, so NCF was established in nineteen ninety six by. Um, you know, a bunch of people, um, my colleagues, and um, it's been, um, it's just grown quite a lot in the last, whatever, 25 years, from about mm. five, six people to now more than 120, 30, or even more, I think, uh, people. Oh. Yeah, so it began with people who um, worked in uh, different areas in the country, interested in particular issues or working on particular species um, mm. and those um, many of those places where all of us were doing our PhDs at that time when NCF was established uh, you know there were the four trustees who set up NCF for some of my colleagues who've written in the book mm. uh, yeah, at that time people were working in particular places and some of those early programs uh, sort of grew there in different um, areas, whether it was in the Western Ghats or in in Lakshadweep and the Andaman Nicobar Islands or in the high altitudes of Himachal and Ladakh. And those were the early programs that began. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess our sort of philosophy has been to pursue science-based and socially responsible research and conservation action. Um, hmm. And we've, you know, we've tried to do that in uh, multiple places. And also, over the years, uh, we've fortunately uh, been able to, um, you know, sort of nurture a lot of other researchers and scientists, uh, younger hmm. people. We also very worked very closely with communities in the areas that we, um, you know, we work in, uh, and hmm. establish partnerships and collaborations with a range of uh, people. Um, mm. And we also, in, in some of the programs, people work uh, very closely with the government um, mm. in trying to effect some policy changes. Yeah, so you know, when you're saying all this, you know, it, it, it seems 
it seems easy, but I know, like, you know, it is extremely complicated. I mean, working with local people and working with government, like, both these areas are, I don't know, they're worthy of several books right. by themselves, right. I guess. So, you know, and so then when I uh, also, I, somebody mentions this, the idea of fortress conservation and how you people have avoided that. So, which means that you, and as the essays also show, there's a lot of involvement with local communities. So, even your essay talks about that and the disappointments and the joys that come with it. So, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, about fortress conservation and... and. Uh, and not pursuing that way, right? Okay, yeah. So actually, when we began as young wildlife biologists, as a master's student and even a PhD student when I was at the Wildlife Institute of India, and many of my colleagues were also there, we mm-hmm. um, not totally subscribed to the fortress conservation, but we also believe that, you know, local people have an impact and there is a, you know, that protected areas are are very much, you know, the way to go. And But when we, um, many of us started working in different areas and had our own experiences and read a lot more, I think, and we realized that um, there, is, there is a lot of um, injustice, you know, in many of the places where um, communities have, have been, um, you know, deprived of their uh, rights or, where uh, some of these, many of the protected areas in this country, the way, I mean, protected areas are necessary, but the way uh, they are declared or how they are established uh, also, you know, is the problem in many cases and which Mm. leads to this kind of conflict with people. And there are many other um, governance models for, um, you know, forests or other, you know, um, resources. And... Mm. uh, there, there was less space for that earlier. Uh, now there is some more spaces in some areas, uh, examples mm. of that happening. But uh, yeah, I mean, and the problem is that, you know, sometimes many conservationists might feel that the end justifies the means and that wildlife is so threatened and anyway, most of the land mm. is for people. So we need to, mm. you know, but... Uh, there is a lot of wildlife outside protected areas too, you know, and yes. and many species actually thrive outside protected areas. And also even the species which are, you know, require large areas in, within protected areas, they also move out of protected areas into other species yeah. where they live with people, you know, and people yes. have tolerance for wildlife. So you have to, I feel that, you know, many of us feel that, we have to share uh, space with nature, and mm-hmm. uh, even in uh, you know many of our large, many of our protected areas are pretty small. They uh, mm-hmm. may not be able to sustain uh, you know viable populations of many species. So you know species need larger ranges. So you need yeah. to have um, people outside who are living there with that wildlife, and you know to to. If you want wildlife to be saved, you need their uh, support. You need their, um, you know, um, cooperation. cooperation. You need, you need, uh, you know, and many people, and India, you know, there are many examples of uh, the kind of tolerance that, you know, exists in India is, is very uh, different from that seen in many other Western countries for large wildlife, mm. which is, you know, damaging their property, um, killing people, um, taking their livestock. So uh, I think that uh, while, uh, you know, the, the kind of models that have been followed for um, conserving wildlife while protected areas are needed, um, mm. there is a need to uh, look at other mo- models of governance of forest areas. Um, mm. And, you know, there are community conserved areas, there are um, uh, managed areas, sacred groves, all kinds of uh, ways that communities um, uh, govern. And in some cases where the communities have good institutions to govern uh, these areas, they uh, do very well, right? So um, mm. it's important to try that, you know, in uh, places. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So talk about your experience in Arunachal. Mm-hmm. You know, you written about it in your first essay. Yeah. So uh, you know, working with with the community there and all that, but uh, eventually it becoming difficult because of how complex the issue is. Yeah. Uh, you know of uh, of communities not being recognized yes. as yeah. the, even something uh, as simple as not recognizing them as um, as uh, uh, you know, scheduled tribes yeah uh, how much of an impact it had on your project right yeah so the you know the that chapter in the book is uh, largely about you know a place called namdafa tiger reserve where we mm. worked close to 8 9 years and mm. um it's an amazing uh, landscape it is about 2000 plus i mean around 2000 square kilometers and it's you know near the myanmar border surrounded on all three sides by um myanmar um, on you know uh, in the extreme kind of eastern part of arunachal so mm. the park was declared so that's a classic case of a place which is sort of contested you know and mm-hmm. there are many other uh, tiger reserves or protected areas in india which have similar issues uh, maybe mm-hmm. not as acute in some places but yeah it it's there are villages and settlements within many most of our protected areas so the mm-hmm. um, thing was that sunamdafa so was declared in 83 as a national park and then as a tiger reserve also a few months later and what mm-hmm. happened is that um the uh, this is the there's a the community of uh, you know the yobin tribe they are now called the yobin they were the lisu mm-hmm. people so uh, mm-hmm. this community has um has had settlements towards the boundaries um outside of the park in earlier times and you know they also claimed areas inside the park at the time when the park mm. was declared you know there may have been fewer households or whatever and uh, many of these areas were declared very you know few people forest staff may have gone and just you know decided that there's no one living there and you know rights were seemingly settled and mm. it was declared right but people protested mm. when they came to realize and so ever since then it's been a bit of a conflict because sometime in the mid 90s um people who lost their land to um erosion uh moved inside the park and mm. uh, there were a couple few uh, houses towards the edge of the park but more people moved uh, inside and these are you know viewed as encroachments right and but to the mm. community this is their land their forest their yeah. area yeah. so that uh, has created the conflict really over there and mm. when we sort of came in there um i had been to visiting that area before on short visits mm. and i'd heard of the conflict i had just finished my mm. phd work in In, in another site in western arunachal in pake on hornbills and mm. i was fascinated by namdafa because it was a very magical place i mean it's like a you know the elevational gradient is from 200 to 4500 meters so it's like in wow. you know the amazing forest the diversity of birds and, and you know all kinds of other mammal species in that forest is um is amazing and so we um you know we started some dialogue with the lisu uh, the community and we realized that they don't have any access to healthcare um uh, very poor educational facilities for their remote villages near the burma border mm-hmm. uh, which is about 7 mm-hmm. days walk from the nearest town right wow. to the park mm-hmm. right to access mm-hmm. their villages which was on the other end they have to walk through the entire you know namdafa national park uh mm. 157 kilometers to be exact and there's a road that was built in 1972 which you know the lisus say that only was used once by the governor to reach vijayanagar and <laughs> uh, yeah so i mean there's a lot a lot of history you can read the chapter but essentially yes. whatever we did with the people was initially helping them with all of the, some of their you know um, basic needs also mm. uh, you know in terms of 
embank you know the like land is getting eroded um, their agricultural mm-hmm. land so we help them to um, build an embankments we also in one village we um, undertook a rural energies like project solar energy to give um, mm-hmm. you know uh, lighting to the households and um and several other livelihood things that we tried i mean that's a long story some part of it is written in the essay but essentially yes. and we were also monitoring wildlife with the um, with the team from uh, the community who were chosen mm. and selected by the community um but mm. so i mean uh, you know so there, there's apart from the land the people inside the park there was also the issue where the community was blamed for the hunting of uh, wildlife inside as well as the disup you know the decline of tiger in that area so it was mm. a very very um, uh, tricky thing right so but when we yeah engaged with it um, you know the community was uh, was very uh, responsive to discuss discussions about hunting and how to reduce it and all that but there were pledges taken to you know all that uh, was and we were also monitoring wildlife so we realized that indeed you know the wildlife uh, much many of the species were very rare uh, in terms of you know abundance and all that so um, mm. and we didn't get much uh, you know we didn't get many signs of tigers we didn't get the tigers on camera traps but mm. um, but we didn't of course conclude that the tigers gone because that you can't really conclude mm. that based on some you know survey which covered some part of the area with few camera traps but the point was that with the kind of effort we put we still didn't detect a tiger whereas with a similar amount of effort in other places uh, you know you get you get many more so um, mm. but you know it became about you know people look at it in, in binaries no so many people think oh acha you you guys are saying that tigers are totally gone but we are not saying that but that also became mm. an issue for uh, some people but anyway eventually the whole issue boiled down to this land and mm. this um, is the the you know policy uh, of in tiger reserves of relocation right yeah mm. is mm. to resettle people from if you're inside the effort is that and you know mm. i'm not saying that you know so there are maybe places where relocation is voluntary where people are willing to move out people want to move out but mm. under the law uh you can't do forced eviction right and so there yes. are, you have to have consent you have to have discussions there is a package offered to people either land or um cash money now um mm. the thing is over you know the leases were quite clear that they would not um move out you know and mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of negotiations i mean there were discussions about alternatives other kinds of alternatives of where else could land be found i mean it's a very complicated story mantula so what yeah was, yeah i know i read about it essential because you know the areas where they came from also which is outside the park in the 60s um other community nepali ex servicemen were also settled there by the government Yes. So yes. those areas were also, you know, Lisu villages in the past, but they were moved out of there and, um, you know, in their current settlement. So, you know, uh, so obviously they're wary of all this since their history has been displaced. In the middle of that, like they were a small community of like three thousand, four thousand people, right? And they mm. had uh, their ST status had been taken away sometime in the seventies for some reason. um it, their citizenship also had been taken away actually and they, they their citizenship was restored in 95 st status was give, uh, they have recently got it in the last 5 um, 6 years ago after we stopped working some years after that yeah. finally so they are in a better place now in terms of that but um, but that so, so all of those factors and the lack of the road connectivity everything uh, you know led to a kind of margin so much marginalization i feel um and also mm. the way they were viewed by even i would say the greater like sort of community in arunachal other people you know um, many people mm. so yeah so there was a lot of um, 
a resistance for you know this whole idea of relocation obviously so when people mm. are not consenting the problem is there doesn't mm. seem to be any plan b like you know uh, ah. you're not because you can't go on like telling people right so my thing was that can't we have a negotiated kind of solution where you know you recognize the rights of people inside because some of them claim these settlements as as passed you know before mm. the other issue is that if you implement fra which is the forest rights act then mm. uh, they would become eligible for uh, yes. yeah so yeah but that is a long way off and i was not successful in sort of pursuing that you know fra of course came in 2006 and arunachal mm. still has not implemented fra for various mm. reasons so um mm. yeah so you know the lesson that to take like i mean what I, for, for me it was like i was caught between uh, i've said this in the book that you know i was caught in the middle because um on the one hand i'm a wildlife researcher and scientist and many some mm. of the community also viewed me with suspicion that i may be you know trying to push for relocation that i'm only interested in wildlife mm. that i'm Depart- I'm a forest department agent. On the other hand, many of the forest department people, or some conservationists, thought that I only cared about the Lisu people and not about wildlife. <laughs> so it was very bizarre to be, you know, caught in the sort of um, crossfire. <laughs> to uh, yeah, and of course, I yeah. established collaborations with a lot of different individuals for some of the things we did, like healthcare or. schools the kindergarten schools we set up or the um some of the other initiatives like the rural energy but in terms of driving it i didn't really mm. have a team apart from my lisu uh, team right um yeah. i didn't have more people on the team or kind of more how will i say institutional backing or support i had a lot of like mm. Uh, my colleagues at ncf as a sounding board or advice but you know um what i mean is that um there's no backing as in like institute yeah. like a government sort of yeah government especially so i would try at different levels i would meet officers at the you know the forest um, you know the dfo you know the you know um forest officer level then i'd go to itanagar to meet the the main um, big uh, you know heads of the forest department i would also go to delhi to try and meet some of the officials in the ministry of environment for some time i was a member of the national tiger conservation authority and i even you know uh, spoke there you know about these issues with vatamda uh, but uh, so one thing did change you know initially with all that advocacy actually like i was advocating for the lisu basically i was asking for dialogue i was asking them yeah. to not view them as criminals as encroachers i was asking them to listen to the history of what you know and try to figure out a, but and so that sort of did penetrate and meetings did happen ntca mm. officials mm. came to the area they had meetings they had you know dialogue uh, so those things did move but eventually what happened is when land was identified the uh, how so it was ruled out that this whole idea of settling inside uh, being allowed to settle inside was ruled out but when land was found, mm. found outside it was not acceptable to the people uh, it, was, yeah. it was probably also not good land you know it was hilly land or whatever mm. so and it was also in the domain of other communities so i don't mm. you know um Uh, the lisu are justified in what they are also saying but you know it le- led yeah. to a kind of stalemate and there also mm. some of them at that time felt that i had that i was a double agent i was not on their side or something you know so yeah. it sort of yeah. you know and our last meeting was quite um, you know very uh, sad because i was of course weeping and they were like you know and you know ncf has done a lot of good work with us and all that but you know your goal is wildlife conservation whereas we want to you know and so there we don't you know sort of which is not true in terms of how i view it right but in terms of the kind yeah. of system or governance that is there 
Uh, mm. We couldn't change that whole uh, thing, no. And mm. we don't have. So you know, when I was reading, when I was reading this, yeah. especially your piece, uh, this this particular piece, and I was thinking, it is such a complicated situation, and it must take so much em- emotional energy. Yeah. You know, to be part of this. So and and subsequently, except you know all the uh, uh, many of the essays, except for the burning ones, which were very optimistic. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I I I found that you know it must be really tough to be in these situations, and I don't know how did how do you guys. Cling to hope. You know, like that. Yeah. <laughs> that that seems know. like a difficult. I don't know. You want to talk about that? Some some cussedness and also because I don't know some cussedness and some stupidity maybe, but it's just that <laughs> we yeah I think we also really uh, many of us are very attached to um, we are outsiders in some of the places we work of course and but yes. we are also um, attached to the those landscapes you know. having worked there now mm. for many years and i don't know it's just that i don't know what it is the drive to just continue despite the um, setbacks and mm. um, you know after what happened in namdafa i was like i'm not going to be like working again with people or these kind of issues but within that same year i actually started the other conservation program in pake with the with the hornbill uh, you know nested up yeah with the nested adoption mm-hmm. program with the nishi community in western arunachal but that of course mm-hmm. i had a you know some colleagues who were supportive that was a very sort of mm-hmm. different thing because there we had a very good supportive forest officer we had mm-hmm. a local community institution and it was mm-hmm. about a less um, uh difficult situation so it was easier mm-hmm. to um begin uh, that project yeah yeah and you mentioned also there uh, local elders being involved and taking on logging yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know logging body uh, people who were doing illegal logging so yeah. that sort of thing must help a lot if yeah. the uh, yeah yeah it's important to build a like a a collective you know of people and it's not just you who's always driving the whole thing no um mm. to have others who are, have taken ownership as well as move things forward right uh yeah. a team of people so that didn't really uh, happen initially like in namdafa uh, in in, in so mm. many ways but here, there you know i think it was just like this overriding issue of land you know land so yes. people you know and it's the question of their survival very existence you know yes. because yes. Uh, they you know so yeah and also in you know in cases like uh, i think elrica d'souza's uh, piece on yeah. the dugongs yeah. you know uh, this uh, i mean because of fishing and uh, stuff like that even the lakshadweep uh, uh, essay yeah. also dealt with that right yeah. so i i mean this do local people or i mean sometimes i'm sure they are positive but in many cases since they are so invested in in fishing or hunting or whatever it's how do you make them change their views you know even though they know that they're heading towards disaster by overfishing or overhunting you know oh that's not yeah so i don't think i i mean I I don't know whether we of, of, often approach it with trying to always change their views. I think uh, hmm. first we try to understand, you know, what's really happening, you know, and um, we do the science part of it. I think in terms yes. of understanding the both the people, uh, although many of us are not trained in the social sciences, but we try to understand hmm. also the people's perspectives as well as their socio-economic, you know, needs and. you know what's the system of um how will i say governance there or things like that right but mm-hmm. we also then look at what is the um impact on the um on the particular um species or 
whatever of interest. Like in for if you the first essay, Rucha Karkare and Mayuresh Kangal. Yes. Rucha was a yes. PhD student when she was working on that. Um, you know, she did that work. Um, and Mayuresh mm. is now a PhD student. He was a researcher. So they, um, you know, they found this, they made this amazing discovery of this grouper aggregation, right? And then they yes. came up with this yes. innovative idea of a floating reserve, you know, of that. But then they talk about how they have to negotiate with them. So it's a, it's a, it's a whole, I mean, you are not the decision maker, right? It's, it's the people in, in those areas. Yeah. And in some cases, it's the forest department or the government authorities. So you just mm. have to work with different stakeholders and, you know, try to achieve or arrive at some negotiated kind of, uh, you know, decisions. Um, or, mm. you know, even mm. the snow leopard work, that's a very wonderful example of, I would say, successful uh, model for conservation. But again, mm. it's it may be because in those areas, those communities have much stronger local institutions also. So, you know, yes. when you have better local institutions and they have their own government, then it's easier to, um, I don't know, have um, a dialogue about resource use and conservation and uh, begin some kind of uh, partnership. Like in, in the Spiti uh, area, a community-based insurance program was set up, which is managed by the yes. communities, right? Yeah, the community is yes. managed. They have good institutions. They have good decision-making bodies to decide how on how they want to manage their program. Of course, NCF initially helped to, um, you know, make it happen. Then uh, similarly, um, there are these grazing reserves, you know, where they've set aside areas for uh, mm. wild prey to recover. So mm. those have also expanded, you know, as a... So it's, it's, you know, it's not that we would just go and say, you know, that all places, communities need to change. And we don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we we yeah. are not, um, you know, um, know-it-alls and uh, we have to learn from a lot of the people also. Um, yeah. So one, no, even if you were know-it-alls, the, the human nature is such that I suppose they wouldn't act, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy still. Yeah. 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 Though, like like you said, because of strong institutions or strong corporate bodies, like in the case of the elephant, uh, uh, you know, elephants, yeah. the essay on, on elephants in yeah. uh, the Western Ghats yeah. uh, in Tamil Nadu, yeah. that I thought, you know, yeah. uh, that is a successful case, yes, right? Yes, it's, yes. You know, not so depressing to read that <laughs> one. So talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? the, the restoration project and the elephant work, right? So those, yes, um, yes. you know, my colleagues, uh, Sridhar and Divya, they are also like me, interested in hornbills and rainforest trees and Divya studied civets, um, you know, mm. uh, and they uh, went to that landscape. So that Valparai landscape is actually my, some of them should have been here because I hope I'm conveying other people's, uh, you know, uh, work uh, in, a, in a correct way uh, in this mm. podcast, but so they um, figured out, okay, we can grow these rainforest trees from these um, seeds of um, civet, uh, you know, seeds got from civet's cats. And they started in a small way. But that mm. landscape has been changed, you know, uh, more than 100 years ago. So it was all yeah. rainforest. And adjoining that landscape is the Anamalai Tiger Reserve, which is a more, mm. un, um, you know, like, unbroken kind of uh, obviously larger patch of forest but here you have yeah. these rainforest remnants small fragments of different sizes w- within these plantations of tea as well as coffee so they mm. start yeah they're, they're of course but it wasn't easy as you would have seen in their essay yeah, you're right yeah. that it was more easy because there is a strong ownership there is control over that land right you yes. have, a, you know, yes. once you've reached the negotiation of the agreement, then it's, you know, then it's possible, you know, to do what you want to do. To yeah. forward. And of course, yes, there yeah. were successful partnerships and supportive uh, people who were uh, from the corporate, uh, you know, um, these companies, TST companies. Yes. And 
uh, good relationships built with some of them especially and uh, in anand's case uh, anand kumar's you know the essay with um with uh, three other colleagues ganesh and yes. uh, shridhar vijay krishnan they mm-hmm. um that's also about the elephants yeah so anand mm-hmm. went there to uh, you know he did his phd work on elephants in that landscape he tried to understand first because there was a lot of conflict people were dying there were several human deaths in a year um yes so here you know there was no crop damage or anything but people uh, elephants were damaging uh, property like schools or rations um how uh, you know houses um yeah yeah there's one kids. thing in that essay yeah. where the baby elephant gets into the living room yeah, yeah. oh my goodness it's like a scary yeah so that's the other thing that people are very so we don't think of all the other emotional and the um mental uh, uh, things that you know many local people who have to live with large wildlife go through it's not just the yeah. economic loss i mean people are dying also right they get killed yeah yeah but yeah. they also have the fear right so of having to yeah. you know deal with this every day um so mm. um so that's why anand uh, tried to understand why where is the conflict happening how many elephants are there in that landscape where are they moving so then they devised that innovative system of you know early warning systems you know uh um, yeah. sms's and you know alerts yeah. to tell people where elephants are just to avoid sudden encounters with elephants so yeah. that of course expanded to other technology to um you know do other things to try and curb the uh, and i think it brought down the mortality uh, uh for you know many yeah. and then uh, they expanded to another landscape which was this hasan uh, place in in karnataka Yeah. Hmm. So all of those stories, if you read, it talks about this whole empathy also, and and yes. talking with people and being there when they have faced a loss or something. You know, it's not just about always doing things and giving things. You know, to hmm. the, uh, to people. Or, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So when I was reading this, I was thinking that gosh, you know, one doesn't think of uh, scientists or conservationists as. having to uh, get so embroiled <laughs> with the community you're right so actually that's a very interesting thing manjula so we can choose to be actually sometimes i regret being doing all this you know i mean my core mm-hmm. interests in ecology are in seed dispersal and you know plant animal interactions in tree phenology and studying certain species hornbills hornbill biology mm-hmm. but um when you're in these landscapes and the training that we have received as master students or as i guess this is the thing that you know some of us in in different organizations there are colleges mm. or my colleagues who are purely doing research and science but mm. most of us in ncf have straddled both and mm. sometimes that is a sometimes it feels good but like i tell many mm. researchers i keep saying that you know it's so much easier to just do science mm. uh, that's true than to true. you know engage with all this i think it's in the mindset of some of us some of our my mm. by, by the way there's differences among my colleagues and you know uh, in terms of who is more comfortable doing this you know mm. i mean also it needs mm. a like i guess some people are more prone to sort of taking risks or i don't know trying things um whereas others are more like circumspect and worried about okay you know what if i do i mean if something happens what what will what will be the consequences so uh some people are also just naturally more uncomfortable getting into the action or the interventions you know uh, so mm, they're more, yeah they are more happy to just study the problem and present yeah. the uh, sort of Hmm. I, so, I guess. I mean, I'm not saying it's easier to just study the problem. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely more messy, I guess, yeah. to yeah. to be right there and to get involved, yeah. at least with humans as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, with people, yeah. and that, but that for conservation, that's the main thing to do. You know, I mean, you have to engage yeah. with people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and I found the the both the essays on you know the deal with bird watching yeah. and you know, those were fascinating. Yeah. And uh, especially I think the the, the last one with uh, the <laughs> confession of a crazy bird, a fantastic piece. You liked it? Yeah. It, it, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so his is the uh, sort of different sort of piece in the book because. it's about his personal like obsession with making ebird lists and becoming the most you know like whatever the targets he had so he writes yeah, yeah it's very funny you know so yeah, yeah it's kind of um, but it also i think sort of highlights <laughs> you know the kind of um, passion that many birders have you know uh, yes, and tries to yes. convey that you know to uh, a lay audience i'm glad you liked it That's- <laughs> yeah <laughs> But why do you think? I mean, I've noticed it before. Yeah. Like birders are generally, I mean, like the ones who are really dedicated yeah. birders, not just yeah. people like me who like birds, yeah. but really dedicated birders are obsessive and they're very, very focused. Yeah. So and and, and there are many of them, right? Yeah. I mean, this essay brings that yeah. out. You know how it's become such a passion for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what do you think that is? Yeah. this uptick in birding yeah i don't know i mean it's really grown in the last um, several years and you know with this ebird especially personally for yeah. instance i like watching birds but till 2015 i was not really like a um uh, doing it regularly you know and usually huh. i would do it very casually or i would just if i if i was war with was with people who are better birders than me then i'd make more effort to you know see them huh. but then with yeah. ebird i don't know it just helps you i started using ebird and i just started watching birds in my backyard in my neighborhood in bangalore when i'm not in the field you know otherwise huh. i'm always like okay field is is far away in this uh, i started going birding all around in places in bangalore and i love it you know and mm. i make lists and i have the record of what i've seen and you know over the years and different and also this yeah. competing who is the top you know who has the most you know <laughs> um, lists and who has the most birds and stuff like that and putting your pictures and mm. all that so uh, for <laughs> me that you know i mean as a scientist i got motivated so i can see that it's grown to I I'm I don't know the numbers right now but it's really grown in the last 5 years and my yeah. my colleague Suhail Kadar talks about um you know in the essay yes. on birders in arms right about the growth yeah that's also lovely yeah. Yeah. about the growth of uh, this um you know kind of yes. yeah so they're yeah they're crazy and they're also very specific and they're very good at bird IDs and you know um Yeah, wow. so, it's always mathematical, you <laughs> know. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, I also. So then I just want to add that it's the the way the bird that eBird uh, has grown. It's also not just um, like people like us. All there are a lot of kids and children, and um, you know, yeah. lots of you know, many people in the urban areas, uh, citizens, and it's also grown in the country. There have been concerted efforts to try to. encourage more people to do uh, birding from places where yes. you don't get so much of you know lists like you know in some parts yeah. of central india or eastern india you know uh, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of the data or information often comes from south uh, the southern states especially kerala yeah i think birding is very big in tamil nadu mm-hmm. and kerala yeah yeah it is <laughs> another thing is this this artist is fantastic okay, yes. sir sir taj yes. gumar i wanted to say that actually so sir taj is also a wildlife biologist who was a master, you know student in wildlife institute of india he's done research and then he like he's now a you know artist although he does also other things like farming and all that but mm-hmm. he so he's done a lot of illustrations for many of our other um, Uh, books or other things uh, my colleague dr mm. shankar raman has another book which is his own essays uh, it's called okay. the wild heart of india so that was oh. published a couple of years ago by oxford so that mm. sartaj did the artwork for that so we were pretty okay. sure that we wanted to ask him for you know for this book and the the mm. great thing about because sartaj has visited most of our field sites because he's volunteered or helped in 
many of our projects in whether it was in spiti or in my um, in pake or in valparai so he also mm. knows the context the stories and all that plus you know what he's done is he's taken like what is amazing like what i what i really appreciate is that he took the a beautiful moment in the story or a very critical mm. moment and he's illustrated that yes and we didn't have to yeah. tell him anything huh like he just <laughs> read the stories and he figured out what you know and he would send it to us so yeah and some of them are quite surreal yeah. like the one especially the birding one where the boy like is flying yeah, you know yeah, yeah. which is yeah. based on his dream yes, writer's yes, dream jagan's dreams yeah <laughs> i was thinking these could be nice posters also some of yes them. yes <laughs> we were thinking that you know this kind of a book it's like a paperback no with this um, we were thinking that it yeah. doesn't like we could have a more blown up posters of his uh, these yeah, yeah some of his art yeah. work you know it's really beautiful yeah. like very nice yeah. even when he's just drawing a little thing like a binoculars yes. you yes. know yes. even that's very delicate yeah. those little uh, smaller drawings as you know the starting pieces no in these essays there also he's captured yeah. some critical element like the tea uh, the cup the glass you know in, yes in, yes the tea glass <laughs> Yeah, very nice. And another essay which I really liked was the one about the bonnet macaques. Okay, yeah. You know, and I mean, for a, I don't feed, I don't feed wildlife. Right. But you know that essay just brings out why you shouldn't be doing yeah. it and how it has such far-reaching, you know, consequences. Yeah. You think you're being very nice to an animal, yeah. but you know, so you want to talk about that. Yeah, so that is written by um, our colleague, who's um, Dr. Anindya Sinha, known as Rana. Yeah. Rana has studied yeah. these bonnet macaque troops in that area in Bandipur for I don't know now. It must be thirty years that he's monitored. Yeah. yeah. So he is a professor at the National Institute of Advanced Studies. He is um, hmm. yeah. So his understanding and knowledge of the like he he's also looking at the minds of how these you know macaques think and all that right yeah. he, he's interested yeah. in cognition and of course behavior yeah. so what i like about the essay is also that he he writes that structurally you know he writes the the story from how the macaque is viewing it and then yes. the the scientist sort of describing or explaining it no so yes. yeah so yeah his work your tool building yeah. and all that yeah. you know, i'm just like quite amazed by by that you, you i mean and also so his is uh, if you see that his is purely um more science and observational research right uh, there's yes, no conservation yes. there really except that he is brings out the threats even to a common species you know in yes. parts of the essay right um yeah and yeah. their interactions with people also yes well, yeah, yeah there is no like um, he's not getting embroiled in, in any yeah. you know yeah. the like it is observation yeah. but there's a lot of depth of feeling in it because yeah. what comes you know anybody who reads it would be struck by how simple like small interactions can have such big mm. you know the butterfly effect yeah. <laughs> and how it can you know impact a whole species mm. so so i guess i guess that's what good science writing is about mm. right yeah yeah so do you think that uh, the story is as a lay, like as a as a person who's just as a non scientist reading it are they uh, is it like sort of engaging to some extent or yeah of course doesn't go into no no they are very yeah okay too much of uh, no no it doesn't go into too much yeah. unnecessary stuff i mean or whatever is unnecessary yeah. Yeah. No, no, there is no jargon. I, that's what I, you know, usually, like you said earlier on this conversation. I mean, or academics of all sorts. I mean, whether you're in the humanities or you know, like a sociologist or whether you're a conservationist and scientist, everybody has their specific kind of jargon, which the layperson, the lay reader, will just immediately get put off by, right? whatever it is whether you're you know reading about humans or whether you're reading about animals or and yeah. and the landscape you know so 
but I, you have avoided that mm. in this book there is just there are some uh, some terms but yeah. which have to be yeah. there if you are yeah. you know, discussing things but it's not like uh, it's not like a lay reader is going to read it and think oh my god i want to go to sleep <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's more an educational thing yeah. and you know in many of the essays you are kind of uh, the reader kind of sees a different perspective which you know as a as a non scientific person and non conservationist yeah. you don't know about yeah. right yeah so in that sense it's a good read mm. <laughs> good to know that Yeah. So was it a lot of effort to get the jargon out? <laughs> uh, so I think in in some chapters we had to yeah do a bit more like restructuring or suggesting or editing. But um, mm. yeah, so my one of my colleagues Shridhar who you know who is uh, more of a writer, he also did some mm. uh, some you know one kind like a workshop at NCF generally to this was after we got the first drafts i think he felt oh we must tell people how you know how to um, mm. simplify or their writing or make it more engaging so we he did a mm. short like online thing to um tell people about some of the elements of you know good writing and uh but um and we divided the work so it's like i mean at least two people two among the three editors two of us would look at you know um at least two of us would look at the chapters you know so we divided it oh, yeah. although okay, i think okay. at the and like, i sort of had to look at all uh, at the i mean uh, and then we had one draft and then we send them back and then we you know had in some cases we may have had a couple of uh, second drafts third draft mm. but mm. we finished actually we finished the book uh, last year <laughs> okay uh in terms of our submission to um the to hapa collins but then okay. they took some time to send back the yeah the, the, the their edits again yes uh, yes and then uh, of course the proofs and all that yeah yeah that's a long longish process yeah Okay so uh, is this going to be like a frequent thing are you going to bring more more books out like this because you know because i guess <laughs> because I, i'm sure i'm sure there are many stories right. you know yeah. i'm like getting a sense yeah. that this is just so, the people for you know dr mahesh rangarajan who's written the foreword i think he said somewhere in the last bit that at the end i'm left wanting more that this is not enough yeah yeah so we of yeah. course had to write only like in, in a 400 page book we could only write um so yeah and we also had word limits about 5000 words mm. some couple of essays mm. were smaller shorter uh 5000 mm. words but yeah so we um i think there are a lot of other younger colleagues at ncf who have also done innovative interesting work and maybe mm. a future book uh, you know some of them could take the lead but also yeah individually i think there are a few people who might eventually write uh, some books maybe yeah i i i do want to do it um in in but you know i would need to take a long break to be able to yes uh, yeah so yeah this is i mean even editing a, a collection is also tough mm. so so i'm sure it's when you you know negotiating with people in uh in remote areas <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah this is very simple but yeah there were supposed to be a few more essays but those authors you know after some time they declined because they couldn't meet the deadlines and all that so mm-hmm. okay okay great so i could go keep talking about this book very nice book <laughs> thank you so much but for the listener yeah. for the listener god and get at the feet of living things 25 years of wildlife research and conservation and it's edited by aparajita datta rohan arthur and tr shankar raman so it's it's really a, a very interesting read and uh, you know you can see things from the perspective of conservationists who are out there in the field and you know doing a trying to make a, a a real difference to not just to wildlife i guess but also to the humans living alongside that wildlife mm. 
So thank you so much, Aparajita, for talking to me. Thanks, Manjula. I just wanted to ask you: Did you like the title of the book? Yeah, okay. I love the title as well. Okay. <laughs> it's from it's from a quote, right? It's a quote from the quotation yeah, from Steinbeck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me about the book. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.